I am Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes, and you're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a favorite person of ours to talk about their heat rock. You know, one of those albums that burn your soul slow. Today, we'll be diving into the fiery 1971 album, Headless Heroes of the Apocalypse, by the late soul and jazz singer Eugene McDaniels. If that song sounds familiar, it's called Jagger the Dagger, and even if you didn't know the song's name, you might have heard it sampled by classic 90s hip-hop artists like A Tribe Called Quest, yes. The Beat Nuts, yes. or The Gravediggers. Mm-hmm. However, the LP is much more than just a favorite of Sample Hunters. It came out the same year as Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, Baby, 1971. Mm. But even though both albums are now considered classics of the Black Power era, McDaniel's record never got anywhere near the same attention as Gay's. Nope. But it's no less incisive. Talk about Eugene McDaniel's lost polemical masterpiece. We invited someone who is no stranger himself to fusing music with a message. That is Bardo Martinez, co-founder and lead singer of the L.A. psychedelic soul band Chicano Batman. Their most recent release, which came out last year, was entitled Freedom is Free. Nobody likes you, nobody cares. Nobody wants you, nobody cares. To extend a greeting so Bardo, welcome to Heat Rocks. Hey man, thanks so much for having me. So Bardo, this album, Obscure.com, uh, <laughs> how did you come, how did you discover it? I was just thinking of a very complete album. I'm, I'm not an album person, period. You know, I grew up listening to all kinds of singles, uh, yeah. whether it's Cyndi Lauper, Santana, you know, my dad's mixtapes. Right. So you, you grow up listening to the best of the best, you know, just hit after hit. But yeah, you know, I started listening to albums, et cetera, getting into, you know, complete albums in the early 2000s, coming of age, trying to, whatever it is. But like I said, I'm still a singles person. Yeah. But, but after going back to this album, especially after thinking about it and digging into it, every song on this album, on Headless Heroes of the, of the Apocalypse, is fire, is amazing. Um, lyrically, musically, everything. What was going on for you in your life, though, man, when you crossed paths with this? Why did it uh, mean so much to you? I think it was just somebody, in, maybe in the band, just somebody near me who just, just you know, sent it over. Yeah. Pretty much sent over the files and just been listening to it ever since. What was the first thing about it that really hit you? The parasite. Mm. Yeah. They landed at Plymouth. With a smile on the face They said we're your brothers From a faraway place Just the first lines of that song, you know. We landed at Plymouth. You know what I'm saying? Wow. It's just, to me, that song spoke volumes. It, since, since I was in, like, grade school... They start teaching you about Columbus, etc. I never bought it. So to me, it spoke directly to my soul. You know, it's just 
such a necessary statement. But really, I mean, we could talk and talk and 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 be political and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's how you feel about it. You know, if there's no conviction, if there's no actual spirit in what you're describing, be it politics, be it love, be it whatever, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So everything that you that McDaniel says means so much when you hear the ah, uh, the ah, uh, all the grunts and the noises. That's real. You know what I'm saying? What was going on for you musically as an artist, you know, in your personal life, politically, that resonated with you about Parasite and really the album as a whole when you when, they, when you first got those tracks as you were telling us? Man, just everything about it. We could talk about Supermarket Blues. Just then the supermarket manager hit me from behind, brought me to my knees, y'all. I got the Supermarket Blues and it's really much more than I can ever use, yeah. Growing up in La Mirada, I grew up in a suburb, La Mirada, right? La Mirada is a diverse city. You know, there's Asian Americans, there's Mexican Americans, there's European Americans. So it's, it's a mix of everybody. But predominant, I mean, there's it's, it's basically this very heavily European American, quote unquote white. So there was always kind of that, you know, basically growing up, I felt like I was confronting by the, by being who I am, the status quo. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't accepted as we all feel, you know, as people of color, correct? Um, so I've, I've, I've gone through supermarket blues all the time. I felt the blues in that, in that same manner, in that same respect, whether it's like a cop pulling a gun out on you while you're getting home or, uh, you know, just getting a weird look for no reason. So supermarket blues is, is just that, I mean... Hmm. So let's 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 think about it. So the parasite, right? It's just like I said. It's just that's the the history of this continent, mm. you know. And and he just laid it down, plain plain and simple. You know, growing up, you're looking for the truth. You're looking for for what is real around you. So, you know, obviously you're you're fed propaganda. You're fed, you know, the status quo as you're entering school, going through it, etc. So let's just it's just truth. Case in point, loving man. Loving man, loving man, Lord have mercy. Uh huh, he's a loving man. Loving man, loving man, Lord have mercy. Don't you know he's a loving man? Um, just the spiritual, the spiritual aspect of of this of this album, of the message of of that that essentially that. Um, the positive aspects of this album because there's so many positive words that we hear throughout and and it, and it's essentially about freedom it's a call of freedom for freedom you know we fight cuz we have to but then we have to reimagine what the world should look like or what is it going to be right so um i'm yeah. wondering when you first started making music was were all these ideas part of your kind of artistic and musical vision from the beginning or is it something that you evolved to as you you know furthered your musical career I think I've always I've always realized it since I was young I mean I would listen to to John Lennon just laying on my dad's bed listening to through like the little sound system 
and just listening to number nine dream listening to uh imagine listening to to you know instant karma Those words are, are, are part of feelings that we all feel and that are extremely important feelings related to, to freedom, mm. to protests, and all of that. And I think really it, it, it all is the same ethos, right. you know, whether it's Bob Marley, John Lennon, Eugene McDaniels. Yeah. Well, it's sort of interesting because for you it seems like you came into this intersection between music and politics, you know, if not fully formed, you're certainly moving that direction. And one of the things that you and I were talking about before we stepped into the studio is how with with Eugene McDaniels, it was really – you can follow a decade-long path that took him there because when he first got started in the early 1960s as largely a singer-songwriter for pop and jazz – his music was not remotely political. In fact, if we can just take a listen to one of his early hits, this was from, I think, 1961, which so 10 years before Headless Heroes. This is uh, Eugene McDaniels, back when he was just called Gene McDaniels, <laughs> and the song's called Tower of Strength. If I were a tower of strength, I'd walk away, I'd look in your eyes, and here's what I'd say. I don't want you, I don't need you, I don't love you anymore. And then by the mid-60s, McDaniels is shifting gears, and I think a lot of this is in response to the Vietnam War and a lot of other social and and, uh, world events happening in that era, and he ends up penning what would become one of his first real uh, social movement, civil rights era anthems, which is Compared to What, which became a hit for Les McCann and Eddie Harris, I think in 1969 or so. And then really the precursor to Headless Heroes, and this is an album that Morgan, you and I were talking about, was the album that came out one year before Headless Heroes, which was Eugene McDaniel's Outlaw. Mm. And by that time, he had added the EU to his name, but he also called himself on the album cover the Left Rev MCD, which has to be one of the most hip-hop names for the pre-hip-hop <laughs> era I've ever seen before. Uh, and in Outlaw, it includes perhaps, I think is my favorite song by Eugene McDaniel's, which is a song called Cherry Stones. Long as I have my clams, I don't give a damn about muddy water. All right, so finally, we're, we're now in 1971, and this is the year that Headless Heroes comes out. And the leap that he makes, even from Outlaw to Headless Heroes, and we've been talking about the politics on this album, is striking. I mean, this guy just goes hard, hard, hard left. Not that you can get inside of his mind frame at the time, but in terms of this sort of evolution, I'm wondering for you, Bardo, like it, with Chicano Batman's albums, I feel like your most recent album, Freedom is Free, if I recall, it drops sometime around inauguration. And so, you know, you probably wrote a lot of this song prior to that, but to what extent were you and your bandmates responding to stuff that was happening on the ground, if at all? Well, well, you know, Carlos, the guitarist in our band, Carlos Revelo, um, he was like just looking at Solange, for example, and and at Solange and Beyonce, mm. Beyonce's you know album uh, Lemonade, 
and you know all the knowledge and all the beautiful messages that she brought with the album and was thinking maybe we should do something more like something that has more social meaning and i was like yeah that sounds that sounds great like i'm ready <laughs> you know <laughs> i've been ready so um so yeah I, I definitely took that to heart and started started writing for me one of the standout tracks or fire tracks on the album is actually susan jane Susan Jane, standing in the rain, eating sugar cane, feeling no pain. Susan Jane, she's beautifully insane, barefoot in the muddy road. On the surface, it, it appears to be about a girl he's seeing. Some speculate that it was his wife, one of his wives. Uh, named Susan Jane. But to me, it seems like it deals with something else. I'm mean, even from the start where he says she's she's standing in the rain chewing on a sugar cane. It seems to me that this woman symbolizes sort of white folks around the civil rights movement and activism, especially on the liberal side. Um, he goes on to say um, something like she likes drinking out of jars, um, but she also had a maid in the Palisades. Is it just me or do you hear something similar? I think that's a very original take on it. Uh <laughs> Like I appreciate it for sure. Uh, I, honestly, I, I the way I looked at it was maybe just this hippie girl that he met that lives in the Palisades. But I'm sure after listening back, there's just there's so much that could be said. I mean, after listening to uh, to Freedom Death Dance, that that's also part of like like speaking about uh, the microcosm of the social movement. We can never You know, like the 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 little in in betweens. You know what I'm saying? Just like in like the inter, you know, the inner dynamics of 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 the movement. I mean, he's definitely referring referring to that. You know, I just was was going to say that further into the song, he says he says he says something like, "Look at her mind. You know, it must be so nice to find a, a mind without." without thoughts to bind it. So in the midst of this very socio-political album, there's a girl in his front yard chewing on sugarcane who has no real worries. You got a whole album full of, of themes, and here's Susan Jane. I, I, I thought she probably wasn't a sister. I don't want to judge her on her name, <laughs> but that, but my feeling was like this is probably, probably not a well, sister. I think Bardo called it. I mean, it's a hippie from the Palisades, right. right? And, you know, this era, the late 60s, early 70s, you know, people coming in and out of the various movements that are happening. You, sure. There's going to be sort of these kind of movement tourists, in a sense, right. and a hippie from the Pal- Pacific Palisades would seem to fit into that model, you know? So yeah, I think I think both of y'all called it on that one. <laughs> Susan, shout out to Susan, to Susan Jane. Feel her mind, it's one of a kind. Where else could you find thoughts without a bind? She's shaking her behind. It's prove it to one. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. Lives by the stars, swear she's been to Mars. She's putting down the czars and. 
there. I'm film critic April Wolf and host of the Maximum Fun podcast, Switchblade Sisters. Do you love genre films? Do you love female filmmakers? Do you love discussions on craft? If your answer is yes, you'll love Switchblade Sisters. Every episode, I invite one female filmmaker on, and we talk in-depth about their fave genre film and how it influenced their own work. So we're talking horror, action, sci-fi, fantasy, bizarro, and exploitation cinema. Mothers, lock up your sons, because the Switchblade Sisters are coming for you. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Are you awesome? Of course you are. You're listening to this show right now. But do you want to do something awesome? Then join us in beautiful Lake Arrowhead, California in June for a weekend full of inspiration, comedy, and friendship. Tickets for MaxFunCon 2018 are on sale right now. Visit MaxFunCon.com now to save your spot because they will sell out. That's MaxFunCon.com. So we've been talking a lot about the album's politics, but the reason why Headless Heroes, I think, was rediscovered a generation after it had been recorded really had to do with the music of the album, right? And this is a really remarkable piece, you know, from beginning to end of the soul jazz album and and a classic at that produced by uh, stalwart Atlantic Records uh, producer Joel Dorn. The music is directed by Harry Whitaker, who worked on a lot of Roy Ayers' music in that same era. And you can certainly hear that flowing through this tune. Just to stay on Freedom Death Dance for a moment, it has to be said that this song seems to be directly riffing, reacting, responding to Eddie Harris's hit song from the 1960s called Freedom Jazz Dance. And I don't know if McDaniels is taking a shot here at Harris or at Freedom Jazz Dance, but a lyric as, you know, quote, no amount of dancing will make us free, I think really feels like it'd be, it's kind of this repudiation of the hedonism coming out of the 1960s where if we can just dance, that's going to liberate the world and that's all we need to do is just to dance and to, and to feel pleasure. Um, he's he's really saying, no, that it's it's not enough, right? No amount of dancing will set us free. But the irony to me is that the song itself is really danceable. I mean, the groove on this entire, the grooves on this album are remarkable. And Bardo, I mean, you are certainly no stranger to thinking about all kinds of different rhythms and melodies and styles from across the world because that gets blended into the music that you make with Chicano Batman. What did you think of the music of this album? The music is incredible. Like, when I first heard the par- the Parasite, I couldn't believe how amazing the drum the the drummer like who was it? It's uh, Alphonse Luzon. Luzon, yeah. man, it just he's just so fast. Like his foot, he sounds like he's playing a double kick pedal. But it's probably just he's just probably one. just so amazingly fast and, and super clean and it's just like he doesn't even play very loud the whole time it's just super sweet really in the pocket yeah. really in the pocket fast as hell yeah <laughs> it's amazing the same thing with the bass player it's just it's just nuts on parasite i think parasite is musically one of my favorites because of like the rhythm and because of like the just like that 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 drive of the song of the rhythm is nuts yeah but yeah. Uh, going back to this song though it's like 
you know, you got the production is nuts. The production is nuts. You have like a like during like the the musical sections uh, in between the vocals, uh, like you have like a guitar solo happening. And I didn't realize it until I was reading some of like the liner notes or whatever, talking about how like there was a sitar playing as well. So you hear the lead guitar in the front. And then you also hear this weird, weird noises in the background. And at first you think you think it might be like a tape echo or something, just but it's not. It's it's just the the sitar going uh-huh. in and out. So that's it's just an, it's just like small examples of just the whole album is super textured. We're talking about like some of the riffs are nuts. You have like a fuzz guitar, and it's just another clean guitar, and just just the mix is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean. Everything about it is is crazy dope. Like there's some of the songs. Uh, I'm trying to remember which song, but there's one just like just like production tricks for vocals, for example. Yeah, there's one where it's like vocals super compressed and super small with a lot of reverb, and and then like it, it it you hear it in the background, and then suddenly, like his voice just appears loud as the bridge comes in. We have to remember, he recorded this album with Atlantic, and this is one of the best studios in the entire country. Right. So the fact that as political and left field as his lyrics are, he is working with some of the best engineers, producers, musicians, et cetera, in the country, which is really kind of explains this, the richness that, we're, that Bardo is talking about here on, on Headless Heroes. Well, let's also remember that Spiru Agnew called Atlantic Studios. <laughs> he called them up, and right. he was like, you, gotta, you guys got to take this record on the shelf, so maybe that's why. Yeah, let's let's Why let's talk about this because this is one of the, this is one of the big you know yeah. the stories behind this. You want to explain who Spiro Agnew was? Yeah, he was like vice president for, <laughs> yeah. for Nixon. Yeah, in, like in the, of the United 70s. States. Yeah, yeah the he United was. States. He, he was, was the vice president. Nixon's vice president. He, he called up Atlantic Records. Yes, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Now this is a story that McDaniel's told for a long time, and it's I don't know if it's ever been completely proven, and I'm not saying he was lying, but it, it's it's got to put it out there. Allegedly, Spiro Agnew heard. Songs from this album being played on Washington, D.C. radio and called up uh, Amit Erdogan, who was running Atlantic and was like, you know, basically what, you know, WTF and Atlantic ended up bearing the album because they didn't want to piss off like the wrong people. And supposedly this explains why Headless Heroes sort of just disappears from the Atlantic catalog and became so obscure by, you know, uh, you know, years later. You know, as as I was reading some of the, you know, just checking, going to uh, Wikipedia and looking up the links of people writing, whether it's uh, Pitchfork or or uh, Stylus, I, I read some articles. And I was surprised that, I don't know, just like people would say, oh, you know, he sounds out of pitch sometimes or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just like no nitpicking, right. kind of like like underplaying the album. And I'm I'm just like, wow, this is... This is crazy. Or like talking about, like, say, for example, the parasite and saying how it's just kind of like overdone. It's a message that we've we've heard, you know, OK, the Indians are dead already. We know that. To me, when I heard that, I was like, all right, well, we already know who you are. <laughs> I already know what you look like and I already know what your background is. So you come from the position of essentially those who took over. So uh, 
what I'm trying to say is that a, a person like myself, maybe you guys could echo, maybe you guys feel the same way. When I heard the parasite, it was just like, it spoke to me. It spoke to my soul. This is like, this is real. You know what I'm saying? And, right. uh, anyways, um, there's no way you could underplay this album, whether it's the message, whether it's the music. Come on now. Morgan, I know you want to get into some of the religious overtones. Sure. And, and before we get there, I do want to stay on the parasite for a moment sure. because it is such a striking song, partly for me at least, because you very rarely you very rarely hear people, especially in soul and funk, singing and writing lyrics about indigenous people, right? I mean, partly sure. it's because yeah. it's he's black, he's not Native American, um, but it's just rare just to hear the con- that content, period, especially coming out of Atlantic Records in the early 1970s. I know the Indians greeted them with wide open arms Too simple-minded, oh, to see through the charms and, you know, speaking, right. of, you were saying just a moment ago about what other people have said about this album. And one of the things that I came across um, was this essay by Garth Ginsburg, um, who does, a, I thought, a really great track-by-track analysis of Headless Heroes. But he says that McDaniels on this album is operating between two gears on every song. It's either cynical or hyper-cynical. Um, and that Headless Heroes, for all its sort of grooviness, in a lot of ways feels dour if not a little bit nihilistic like mcdaniels couldn't see a way out everything that he was reporting on is just is bad in essence and there's not a ton of hopefulness on it which if we go back to what i was mentioning at the very beginning compared to something like what's going on you know gay speaking to some of that despair as well but he's also finding other ways of of uplift for lack of a better term i'm wondering what you think of this idea i mean when you hear headless heroes do you hear a hopeless album or do you ha- do you hear something that offers a way out of the darkness how could you hear hopelessness like under such a heavy beat how could you there's no there's you know there's nothing hopeless about that like that is that's pure energy that you're listening to you know essentially i mean when i hear that i'm listening to a record from 1970 i was born in 84 right so this is something from from my ancestors, mm. the way I look at it, mm. we're all we're all related, all of us, you right. know. So those are my ancestors making that music, and it's just like they're 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 relaying these messages through music, you know. I'm excited right now. <laughs> I'm excited because really, what I'm trying to describe is that religion, music, all of this is just just the messages from the ancestors calling us and. And, and bringing bringing the roots to us, you know, telling us what is real, telling us what is the truth. I grew up in the church, a sort of Baptist Pentecostal, and it was always tough when preachers would preach from the book of Revelations. The first time I heard it, I was a, a preacher preached from it. I was a little kid, and uh, my cousin said, yeah, whenever he gets here, it means everybody's going to hell. Um, Revelations is, is profoundly dark. After it begins with I, John, Saw City, it gets sort of bad from, from there. Headless Heroes' social political commentary is widely discussed, and rightly so, but there are clear religious overtones from the album's title itself um, to the song, The Lord is Back. You can hear his voice blowing in the wind, yeah, yeah. So the reason why, uh, you know, 
to me, even though it's it's got religious overtones, one of the things that makes it religious is its reference to uh, to the horsemen. In, in Revelations, there are four of them, and they all come to warn of sort of like imminent doom. They all bring something, right? And so it talks about progressive doom, that uh, war becomes famine, and famine becomes disease, and then disease becomes becomes death. There's a lot of strong religious tones here in this song, and also in uh, The Loving Man, because The Loving Man, I guess, is a metaphor for God who's coming through preaching this message of love, but is under siege. Children follow behind him, calling him Jesus Christ. It's hard for others to find him. He just smiles and says, that's nice. Says, God is love, can't you hear me? Says, love is God, can't you see? I feel like the Bible in itself is a story about oppressed peoples, you know? And I think that's a big reason why people around the world have felt it and have taken it, you know, who um, have used it as an allegory for themselves, whether it's black people in the South, whether it's uh, people in, in, in Latin America. The Lord is back. The Lord is on the train. He's riding the rails to resurrection. The Lord is black, his mood is in the rain. The people have called, he's coming to make corrections. I don't know, there's, there's all kinds of synthesis. Uh, I mean, the world is full of struggle, no matter where you are, and, and oppression, etc. So it's, it's such, a universal, such a universal feeling, really. And I think um, it, it w- this wouldn't be the first album where where the theme of God being black is discussed. Certainly, we could talk about D'Angelo's whole black Messiah. And Revolution, Revelations isn't all doom. There is sort of this new city and this new coming. And and I feel like there, even in the dark parts of this album, there are there are hope. There is hope for us to get together and uh, and tackle what's out there. One thing that we like to ask our artists. Uh, guess is if there was a song off this album that you would want to remix or cover, what song would you pick and why? Oh man, after listening to this album all day, it's, 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 it's <laughs> the whole thing. Answer, but um, I don't know. I mean, my first answer, I, I thought about it because I think we we discussed it earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I thought about Supermarket Blues just because it's just you know. It's just so good. <laughs> Musically, the riffs, etc. I got the supermarket blues, and it's really much more than I can ever use. Yeah. I got the supermarket blues. If I could choose. So, Bardo, what are you hearing in this song? I think supermarket blues is it's just talking to, I mean, the experience of any oppressed person. I mean, I feel all of us are oppressed in this society, no matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you're on the poorer side of things, things are more difficult. And we go through a lot of physical kind of trauma that people on the upper scale of things don't feel. And so, uh, I mean, you know, I'm thankful to my parents and and everything. I I didn't have it too bad, you know what I'm saying? But uh, it's always a spectrum, correct? And I feel like at the end of the day, though, it's it's, we feel the same colors, you know what I'm saying? In terms of the feeling 
how it feels to be oppressed. I mean, whether whether you're you know you're getting beat down every day or whether you're you know getting a slap on the wrist, it's still you're getting slapped and hit for the same reason. You know, and it's it's it never feels good. That's for sure. Coming back to this idea of supermarket blues is that, you know, Whole Foods, I'm pretty sure, didn't exist back when the song was recorded. But <laughs> we're, all, we're all very hyper aware of what access of kind of food that we have in our different neighborhoods. And we know what the hierarchy of supermarkets is, especially here in Los Angeles. And so, you know, you know, if you're in one part of town and there's a Whole Foods as opposed to like a Super A you know, you you know which side of the tracks you're on, and and the ways in which, without I think McDaniel's knowing it, he really is crafting this idea of the way in which, how just something as simple as how we shop for our daily food becomes laden with a lot of these kind of overtones of politics and oppression uh, and access that you're just talking about. So it's sure. it, 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 you know this this album really continues to speak to the present moment. You know, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and further to that, sort of, you know, people have been talking about gentrification, and one of the telltale signs is when someone builds a Whole Foods right, right. or a Trader Joe's in, in your neighborhood that they're trying to court um, sort of a, a different demographic. So there is this sort of hierarchy between, you know, a division between the rich and the poor in terms yeah. of what you have access to from a, from a shopping perspective. Right. So the, the supermarket blues continue. For sure. But yeah. also also just how, you know, like any little thing could could create a situation where you're in a situation of life and death mm. in, in, in for, for our communities, really. Like, right. you know, you go into the supermarket, you, you decide to bring, you know, return something, and all of a sudden what it, it might be um, something miscommunicated, and all of a sudden you're like... You, you're, get, you get shot in, in a Walmart exactly. or a Target because you're carrying a toy gun that yeah. you got in the store. That, exactly. That, that sort of situation you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, or you get pulled over and, you know, you, you get shot and your kid's in the back seat, mm -hmm. you know, so... There's just so much of that, you know, that's so, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful to Eugene McDaniels for for his for the fury that he puts on this album from the top, from the get. Um, something we we kind of touched on was I've never heard any artist like very few artists do what he does. You know, like I, like I was saying, I was reading some of these writers and they were complaining about his like, you know, pitch or whatever. But, man, I love his slang, the feel, the uh you know all the grit that he puts into every word and it's just it just it's it's above music and i think that's that's what we as musicians as artists that what we but we have to strive towards using music as a medium not as the end all be all because you know it's not about how well you could play something it's you know what's what's the the feeling what's mm. the spirit behind it and i think this is a record that's imbued with with boundless spirit we ask this of of all all of our guests. Um, if you had to describe this album in three words, what would they be? Powerful, necessary. Mm. Uh, one more. The third one's always the toughest. Seems that way. Seems that way. Uplifting. So that'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Bardo Martinez of Jacano Batman. Their latest album is Freedom is Free. That's a banger, too. Bardo, thanks for coming through. Where can people find you? With Chicano Batman, we had the, the pleasure of uh, rocking with Leon Michaels um, 
for the latest album. Uh, yeah, uh, Leon from Big Crown. Sure. Yeah, he uh, he produced our last record. Um, our that record is actually under ATO Records, but he produced it. And uh, just being at the Diamond Mine, which is the name of their studio, was such a revelatory like experience. Um, I have a website. It's called YemayaSoulRecords.com. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Morgan Rhodes, and Oliver Wang. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for letting us play it. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Oliver Wang, and Kara Hart. And today's show was engineered and edited by Kara. Shout out to Kara. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the electric, eclectic, I want to add sexy Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com, and that is where we will post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of all the music that you heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. As always, we want to thank folks who took some time out to give us some nice reviews on iTunes, including Curtis the Cleaner, not Chris Jacobs, and even Mr. Hostetter, who basically posted, eh, it's okay, but still gave us five stars on <laughs> iTunes, man. Shout out to you, Mr. Hostetter, for being for keeping it real, but also keeping it five stars. And as always, if people have just a moment to take out and leave a review for us, it does a huge, huge job in helping us build our audience. So we really do appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for the love, especially uh, at AskTND on Twitter. Liz Criola, shout out to Liz. Thank you so much. And Keith Campbell. We do so appreciate the retweezies. Keep them coming. Appreciate you guys. Quick shout to also on Twitter, Jason. It's 67 degrees here, Picker, who wanted uh, us to at some point try to program People Under the Stairs' OST album, which is a great album, but it's an also album, an album where I get dissed by name on it. I don't think Jason realized that, but that's that was a great serendipitous pick. And yes, who knows? Maybe one day we can revisit uh, that album in that moment. Shout out. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.